Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Jared Belson, DJ Border for Draft Site Podcast. We have a special edition tonight. We are going to talk the NFL Combine and probably some other more. Zach might be joining us in the middle. Uh, this is NFL draft season. You might have heard DJ's podcast from last week where he counted down the, uh, the top, counted down the team needs from picks 32 to 20. Is that right, DJ? Oh, uh, one to tw- basically 1 to 20, all the non-playoff teams, Tampa Bay to Philadelphia. Right. And then after this, at some point this week, he's going to finish up um, all the playoff teams. So you'll get the full 32 teams and their team needs in-depth by guru DJ Boyer. Uh, Also, check out the website. DJ has been providing the world with draft rankings for every position. He just finished it up. He did kickers and punters today, uh, safeties as well, cornerbacks. Before that, did the offensive linemen, uh, fullbacks, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, any position you want. We have the top 20 list, 25 list provided by DJ Boyer. So come on to draftsite.com, check it out. Go to draftsite.wordpress.com for the blog. And you'll get DJ's news and notes every day regarding the combine and other thoughts that he has. And last order of business here, we have a we have a draft master beer dispenser that we are going to give away uh, tomorrow. And what we're going to do is I am going to pose one question on Twitter about the call today, about the podcast today, and if you're the first one to answer correctly, you will then get this prize. So everyone listen up carefully, because anything we say might be the answer for the question tomorrow. So anyway, let's get started, DJ, Combine, this yeah, is our time. Well, I think we got to make that something hard, maybe something like, you know, the fastest riser, uh up the board at defensive end, a player that I really love. Uh, they have to spell the name of the uh, UCLA recruit, Owamabe Odigizuwa. Maybe if we do something like that, uh, that, that might be sufficient. Not a bad idea. Well, we'll try and make it easier for our listeners. Yeah. I just love the name, Owamabe Odigizuwa. I just wanted to fit that in somewhere. So, one more time, <laughs> Owamabe Odigizuwa. There we go. Oh, boy. Say that ten times fast. So DJ, uh, I assume you've been watching the Combine. I know you had three TVs going, is that right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, and, and at times more than that. There, There is a plethora of visual aids that are always at the disposal here at the, at the compound. 67 days to go, so. So let's, uh, let's start talking about some of, some of the drills, some of the positions. Uh, let's talk general first. Who are your biggest risers from the combine so far? 
Well, who would have thunk it? If anyone was paying attention today, they'd know the, the broad jumper around the world. This is just amazing, the, the fact that the broad jumper, a vertical leap, would, I mean, uh, we've heard about verticals and sometimes uh, the insane jumping abilities, but a broad jump of 12 foot 3 inches, nearly a foot over anything anyone has ever seen at the Combine from Byron Jones, the, uh, the oft-injured cornerback from the University of Connecticut who unfortunately has suffered some some debilitating injuries in the last couple of years. Uh, suffered a torn labrum injury this year, very similar to uh, Jason Barrett from TCU last year. Uh, cost him part of his season. Still was able, I believe he went 22nd overall to San Diego last year. Uh, Jones, you know, a big corner. When you got someone that's, that measures in at just a hair under six foot one, playing the cornerback position with some, some good speed, you know, uh, those tall corners tend to get pushed up the boards late and on draft day. Now, uh, all, all uh, Jones had really done with that torn labrum and has really done uh, the broad jump and the, the vertical, but, wow, did he open a lot of eyes today. I've, I've never seen a jumping drill be so talked about. I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, right, but, but obviously one of the he's... top performers in every category. I mean, the three-cone drill, the 20-yard shuttle, 60-yard shuttle, and he's been one of the top cornerbacks in every drill so far. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and, and the the thing really is, though, like I said, he's uh, you know he only put seven games. He was only on the on the field for seven games this year. I believe had missed a total of three games the previous year. So injuries are are, are going to be the big thing here. And you know, uh, D. Milner had the uh, torn uh, partially torn labrum this year. Again, Jason Barrett it was affecting his his draft stock a season ago. So this is something, unfortunately, we we've seen with some of the the cornerbacks and. It's really not that, that injury where you can just say, oh, this is the injury, this is how long he's out. There's, uh, of course, different degrees of separation uh, per se, and uh, we'll just have to see what this really does. This is a guy who his pro day, it's really, he's going to have one of the more talked about pro days. I believe that is the 31st of March for uh, the University of Connecticut, and that's going to be one that's going to be, be looked at because there's really not been a runaway at the uh, – the cornerback position. Some of the smaller school guys, guys that I thought would get a little more play, like a, a Jacoby Glenn or a Quentin Rollins, who are looking like borderline first-round picks, second-round guys, uh, ran a, ran some disappointing times. Actually, there there weren't a lot of real, real fast time at the corner position or the running back position. I think the 40 times, if you're just looking for 40 times, uh, was was really disappointing at those positions. So uh, with a really strong showing, I, I think you could really see uh, – uh, Jones really kind of fly up the board. All right. Well, speaking of quarterback, uh, cornerback, uh, one of the guys who performed very well in the 40-yard dash uh, was Trey Wayne, the cornerback from Michigan State. I mean, does he become a first-rounder at this point? Maybe even top I think, 15? I think the consensus was this was the top corner on the board, but but really – uh, there was a lot of feelings out there. As a matter of fact, I actually had him in the latest uh, mock being the first corner off the board but not going until 22nd overall to Pittsburgh. So I think that there's it, – it's kind of amazing because cornerback is going to be one of those positions that a lot of teams are going to look towards, especially in this the, the pass-happy league that we see in the NFL now. But, again, there's not that big performer out there. and it, I, I think that the second or third round, we're just going to see a cluster of, of teams really – possibly even trying to uh, move back in the first round. Or if there's teams that think, hey, corner's really the position of need, that's really where we want to target. But it might be a little high to pick someone. I think if you see some teams that are kind of moving back, 
it could be for those cornerbacks with those first picks and trying to acquire some extra selections. And I think right now that might be some of the talk that, that we're seeing because the teams picking at number two and number three, uh, Tennessee and Jacksonville respectively, it might not be for cornerbacks, but the talk is for both of those teams that the price tag is out there for, for wanting to trade out of those positions. Uh, we always hear some scuttlebutt, maybe just trying to get some teams to kind of move up or see what kind of deals are out there, just get the kind of things moving. But but we've heard some serious talk from, from Tennessee and Jacksonville where I think this is uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I don't think this is all just kind of rumors or just putting things out there. I think these teams could legitimately uh, try to move back. So maybe uh, the big thought, of course, could could this be for a Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston, presumably the quarterback that the, the Buccaneers don't take. Maybe this is, you know, Tennessee really saying, hey, Zach Mettenberger is going to be our guy. The next team that would presumably want a quarterback would probably be the Jets at number six. So if uh, teams don't want to wait around, if, if Washington makes a move, if, if RG3 is really not the guy, uh, and possibly the Jets, if they want a quarterback, they may have to move up from the number six position to do so. So I think the the number two and three spots, uh, we, we've got a couple of uh, some players there in the AFC South. So I, I think this is going to be very, very interesting, some posturing as far as what teams are going to do to possibly get into those positions. All right. And now do you think after this combine so far, Marcus Mariota has, you know, solidified himself as number two, or you think, uh, or even number one, or Leonard Williams is, Leonard Williams is still, you know, higher prospect I mean, on a lot of boards. I, Leonard Williams has been my number one guy all year, and I think he's really proven that. Uh, coming in, at, I believe he weighed in at 302, just a shade over 300, and still ran a sub 540. So I think that was uh, very impressive, especially being that tweener type of guy, a guy that you can line up legitimately at uh, probably about three positions along your defensive line. He can play inside or outside. So I think that 40 times pretty important to him, where it might not be as important uh, to, say, a defensive tackle like a Danny Shelton, who's thought of to be the best defensive tackle in this draft, but, you know, posted about, a, I believe it was a 5-6, somewhere in the 5-6 neighborhood, which is a very, very slow time. But you got to re- remember, this is a 345-pound athlete. And it really just – the big thing there is just the explosion off the ball and, and, and the fact that he was able to show some speed coming off the ball with those, those shorter uh, – that, that shorter kind of burst is what you're looking for in a, in a player as big as Danny Shelton. You're not going to have your defensive tackle running 40 yards down the field. If you are, you've got bigger problems on that football team. So you really kind of got to look in context. So I, I think Williams is, is still the best player in this draft, but Mariota and Winston have done nothing to hurt their stock. So with, with Mariota, it's really just the, the questions are his demeanor. Is he really that field general? For Winston, of course, it's going to be the off-the-field activities and the, the kind of risk you take there. But I think both quarterbacks have, have generally helped their cause. I still think Winston's the better quarterback. And I think that's where Tampa goes. But uh, but Mariota's definitely helped his stock. And I'm, I just want to applaud both of them for actually taking part in all the all the drills and making the throws. And it, it's been a popular thing in years past where these top quarterbacks just kind of skipped the throwing and waiting until their pro day. So I, I think that's a good thing. Maybe maybe this is something we see more of in, in, in upcoming combines for players not waiting till the till their pro day to actually put it out for everyone to see at the combine, that that was a good thing to see. 
Well, speaking of quarterbacks, there's another guy that we've talked a lot about who uh, who had a great combine as well, and that's Brian Bennett. Do you think there's any chance he moves his way into the first round now? I think that's going to be I think that's going to be uh, a little bit too high for him, but I, I think that you know he's caught the eye of a, a lot of teams that are that are going to be looking in in kind of the mid rounds, or maybe they're going to have to move up for him. Now again, I, I kind of had him most of the season as the number two small school quarterback. I I'm really high on a guy by the name of Jerry Lovelock out of out of Prairie View A and M. Got to see him a little bit uh, from the Baltimore area. Uh, kind of got that Dante Culpepper build because you know a lot of people knew about the mobility and the athleticism, but he went in there as about a 200 205 pound quarterback, and he's now 245 pounds. He's put on about 40 pounds. He's he's really He's one of those guys who hasn't put up all the stats uh, that, that just kind of wow you, but you can just see the tools are there and in the right system. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, behind someone for a few years, he kind of develops. I actually have the Ravens currently picking him again, kind of a hometown guy from Baltimore, and then looking for someone behind a Joe Flacco, uh, Tyrod Taylor, probably not going to be around there much longer and kind of seen as more of an athlete. So, uh, but but Bennett is definitely going to open a lot of eyes. I think that sub fifty percent completion percentage this past year is going to keep some teams away. Accuracy is always going to be a question, but the athleticism is there. He makes quick reads. Obviously, you've got to be a running quarterback and and good with the football since he started at the University of Oregon. So he's he's raised a lot of eyebrows and and he's kind of thought of as a, kind of a Marcus Mariota light. So. Uh, and especially with, with Brett Hundley not really wowing, really, really wowing people there. Again, I think maybe Bryce Petty has kind of moved into that number three position because uh, of, of the top five quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Petty and, and Hundley actually took place uh, through as well. And I think Petty definitely outshone Hundley and kind of put that kind of blasé performance at the Senior Bowl behind him where he played well in the game, but throughout the week he was just kind of there. He was kind of invisible. So uh, of the top quarterbacks, I think Garrett Grayson was probably the, the top guy on the board that did not partake in anything uh, in any of the, the throwing drills. So uh, uh, Bennett has definitely helped himself. He's definitely a top ten quarterback. Uh, probably has, has moved from the fifth and sixth round range. To right now, I think he solidified himself as a third uh, as a third round prospect. All right. Well, as far as the quarterbacks, I mean Brett. Brett Hundley did, um, you know, finish as the top performer in five, five of the athletic categories, um, four-yard dash, vertical jump, broad jump, three-cone drill, and 20-yard shuttle. Bryce Petty also finished in top, uh, four out of five of them in the top five, but there's one other guy who kind of finished almost in the top one or two for each of those drills, and that's Nick Marshall out of Auburn. Now, we know he's a Great quarterback. We've been watching him for a few years, but at six one, does he have any chance of getting drafted? It's going to have to be quarterback. from the cor- Now it's going to have to be probably from the cornerback position. And again, that's something that he did at the Senior Bowl. He he took part or took uh, in practice as a corner. It's something he did during the game, and a lot of people um, forget or it doesn't really come to mind that. Yes, he played all his years in the SEC, but not all those years were at Auburn. His first year was as a corner at the University of Georgia. So this is a guy who has kind of taken the, the roundabout uh, the way of, of going back to the cornerback position. 
And again, he's a guy that I think is going to be a safe gamble because I've already made mention with, we talked about this with Denard Robinson a few weeks back. I'm surprised we do not see more quarterbacks go to corner by being forced into a wide receiver or even a running back position. Uh, I think that even though you think of the running back and the wide receiver position as more the skill set, I disagree. I think quarterback is always seen as, as the and the glamorous position. It, it's that, that position where you're kind of out on an island. You're the that that number one guy and a lot of a lot of it uh, is also your performance between the years and not just your, your athletic ability. But I, you really look at cornerbacks and, and uh, really if you've got man-to-man coverage or if there's something uh, with, with safety help or something behind you that goes awry, there's no other position on the football field where you're out on an island more than playing corner. So if you're able to understand the way a quarterback thinks and some of the routes and what receivers are going to do, I just think it's a natural kind of progression uh, and the fact that you can really assert yourself as, as maybe that prospect, maybe, maybe Nick Marshall goes a lot higher on some of these boards is just maybe to a top-tier team that can kind of tuck him away for a year or two and, uh, you know, kind of take him in maybe the third or fourth round where he's probably seen as a, a legitimate maybe sixth-round prospect right now based on ability alone at the cornerback position. But he's going to intrigue a lot of teams, and, and some teams are going to reach for him. And it's really just if he's got that quarterback that's willing to kind of throw that helmet in there and make a tackle. And obviously, Nick Marshall's done it before. Well, looking at some of the other positions, let's uh, let's go to running back. Um, I'd say two of the top performers were Amir Abdullah, uh, Melvin Gordon performed. Pretty well. And then David Johnson out of Northern Iowa, I think, performed exceptionally well. Um, how did, you know, how did David Johnson move up in your mind in this draft? I think David Johnson, the ascension there really started at the Senior Bowl because he's a guy that's, you know, he's going to be playing around 230 pounds. And he's just shown some great hands. Again, he posted two games, uh, you know, playing at Northern Iowa that's not, not an FBS school. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're always a team that schedules some big-time opponents. And he put up uh, 200 yards receiving, I know, against Iowa. There were a couple other games where he did a lot of damage out of the backfield as well. And, you know, at his size and being close to 230 pounds, he's a guy that you can possibly make even into an H-back or, or kind of that utility guy. He can run the football. You can you can make him that H-back type, uh, maybe even a, a tight end that, that or a guy that you can kind of split out and just – there's a lot of things you can do with him. I've got him as a legitimate third-round uh, prospect, and he could be one of the first five running backs off the board, even though he's coming out of uh, northern Iowa. He's a guy that I really like. Um, another guy that I really like is uh, Jay Ajayi from uh, from Boise State, who, I, again, I think, you know, at 4.57 uh, in that 40, there was not a lot of blazing times. You know, Dre Archer from, from Kent State threw up that, that fastest time last year, Chris Johnson from East Carolina, uh, years ago with that four-two-four. But the running back position—that's not something we we saw where the the forty teams, the forty times were very very low. Four-five was kind of the standard or the four-five-five range of the the top prospects. David Johnson run, running very well. Jeremy Langford, I think, really kind of separated himself and of, of the top prospects 
surprisingly, I believe he was ran a four four three was one of the the faster times we saw as well. But again, if you ran four five five or under, that was actually seen as probably good in this combine. We didn't see those blazing times. So guys like a, a Jaye or or, or or Johnson that can catch the football well again, even though our, our Boise State running back you know put up about 1,800 yards on the ground, he caught over 50 balls and you, know, you put him in a system and with that size he's seen as a three down back, so I think he's probably uh, done very well. Uh, and another guy that I don't think a lot of people have talked about or he's seen as that second or third tier type is uh, Buck Allen or Javorius Allen out of USC. Another guy who I think can really do some damage out of the backfield, maybe you put him in a West Coast-type offense, but he's just a very fluid uh, receiver and a guy that actually blocks pretty well. Uh, there were a lot of times where I see him on film making some pretty good blocks for Cody Kessler back there, so uh, you kind of refine his blocking technique. Uh, he's a guy that that's kind of reminiscent of Ronnie Brown coming out that uh, – now, Ronnie Brown was seen as a guy who can do as much damage catching the football. I think Allen's that way, and, and Ronnie Brown was always seen as a very solid blocker, and that's something uh, we see out of Javoris Allen, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Okay. Well, how about some of the injured guys who had injury history, T.J. Yeldon, and, and even going back to Amir Abdullah, have they answered questions, or are there still questions on those two? Well, I think Abdullah didn't really have the, the blazing 40 time, but I think he performed well in some of the other drills. And, and for him, I think this year it was the, the fact that he was able to not turn the ball over. Fumbling was kind of an issue with him early in his career. Uh, it might have just been something in the water in Nebraska. It was a couple of years ago. I think the 32 fumbles, they had actually led uh, FBS teams, and uh, a number of them coming from uh, Taylor Martinez and, and Abdullah as well. And I, and I think, again, another guy can catch the football when called upon, but just showing that he can secure it and he's not going to be that liability turning the football over, I think that was most of the what, what's really satisfied a lot of people watching him on film this year, so that they're not going to see him as that uh, guy with fumbleitis or being a, a turnover liability. Uh, Yeldon, uh, I, I think there's going to be some questions there. Uh, some of the, the out, you know, you you go back to a Trent Richardson. Eddie Lacy's kind of done well, but it's not been that, that blazing type speed or, or been, it's really been more just about uh, yards after contact with him. There's not been a lot of Alabama backs that have really kind of done it uh, other than kind of that bruising type of style. And, you know, Yeldon is a bigger guy. He He's shown that he's not a, a lightweight or he's not, he's going to fall right away, but Really, his bread and butter has not really been the fact that uh, he's, he's that bruising back that's just going to plow his way and uh, just make a ton of yards. And Mark Ingram was kind of seen as that guy. And until this year, there were a lot of questions about him. So, uh, And, again, one of the running jokes is in circles, Alabama, they, they turn out a lot of athletes, but there's, there's two things that's, uh, that you always hear that comes out of Alabama. And that is when you play at Alabama, you get trophies and you get surgeries. There's a <laughs> Alabama and, and Nick Saban, you know, a great coach. But there's a lot of teams that are kind of, I'd say, kind of put off by Alabama prospects because they're their players. They just seem to have a lot of miles on them, per se. Very, very hard on them at the college level. So sometimes you really got to dig deep for these Alabama athletes because everything is not as it appears. Sometimes there's 
again, an athlete who's had more surgeries that, that kind of haven't been publicized or has just been kind of beat up or really just ridden hard at that college level. So you kind of got to approach those Alabama athletes as uh, with, with kid gloves, per se, because sometimes everything is not as it seems. Let's move on to wide receivers here. Who, you know, there you got some blazing guys. J.J. Nelson had a 4.28. I think he was, was he the fastest 40 time? Does he have a guy like that have any chance? Or is he a special team? But but really, uh, and you you said it best, you know, he's a guy that's really, you know, he is one of the better uh, return men at the NCAA level, and that's where he's going to have to make his mark. Um, If any, Type of guy, you're really the the only person I can think of in the last five years that kind of had the label as 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 Nelson did that really kind of showed any success as a receiver was Randall Cobb when he came out of Kentucky. But again, he came in a very receiver friendly offense, obviously, and playing with the best quarterback in in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers has has probably done his career wonders, which is why I think that Randall Cobb has to think long and hard about just taking the money and going somewhere else because he's obviously not going to have the same type of uh, production wherever he goes or the same type of opportunities. But uh, we've heard more and more about Kevin White and how some some analysts and maybe even some teams are, are thinking that he is the top wide receiver on the board and not Amari Cooper. Uh, I still disagree with that a little bit, but again, uh, the, the gap has definitely uh, shortened, although, um, again, Amari Cooper has done nothing to really kind of let the let that gap be because of the fact that he's been performing sub uh, at a subpar level. I think it's just White just being very physical, showing he ran a sub four four, where Amari Cooper ran a four four two. Again, both very very good times, but uh, you know White was just uh, he he's just shown that uh, he he's really just answered everything that that's come his way, and if you look at where. Guys that we're going to see go in the top 15, where they were at the beginning of the year and where they kind of ultimately end up, you're probably not going to find an athlete that has ascended faster than Kevin White this past year. Both Kevin Whites, for that uh, matter. you got to remember there's another Kevin White in this draft, the, uh, the defensive back from TCU, despite being a little bit undersized. He's probably moved his way from a sixth or seventh round pick. He'd be probably being a, a third or fourth round guy, uh, being a little bit undersized, but looking like the perfect nickel-type uh, corner at the NFL level. There's, there's two other wide receivers who have had um, big-time prospects coming out of high school. We've talked a lot about them. Stephon Diggs and Doriel Green-Beckham. Have they hurt themselves or helped themselves at this combine? Uh, with with Green-Beckham, it's all going to come down to character issues because – regardless of what uh, Kevin White does or, or what an Amari Cooper does, you're not going to find anyone that is going to say that uh, Green Beckham is, is, is not the top athlete at the wide receiver position. You're talking about a guy that's going to be playing between 220, 230 pounds, is a legitimate 6'4", uh, a little bit over 6'4". And we're, we're talking about a guy that was a hurdles champion uh, in high school and, and actually uh, the 100-meter champion. Uh, at, the, at the high school level, and the guy's just a freak of nature. What a guy talking about a guy that size that can run that way, and we saw what he could do at Missouri. His sophomore campaign was after kind of a disappointing 
freshman season consisted of some drops and some inconsistent play. He really put it together as a sophomore. And you got to think if he was at a school with maybe a, a higher profile offense or were able to do a few more things, the numbers might have been a little more staggering than what they were. So uh, it's really going to come down to the, the personality uh, type of issues and, and teams that are, are really going to take a chance for him, for him off the field. Diggs, it's, uh, there, there's been some injury uh, history there as well, even though a, another guy that's got all the talent in the world, but it, he just never seems to be healthy. Uh, and I think that's what, what it's going to come down to. Even when he's playing at his best, there's always a nagging type of injury there. So I think there's going to be some questions about that. And Maryland receivers, you know, other than Torrey Smith, who has never really ascended to a number one guy, but a very good uh, number two receiver, maybe a, a borderline number one guy at the NFL level, a lot of uh, Maryland receivers who, you know, the Darius Haywood Bay coming to mind, just have kind of underperformed at the NFL level. So hopefully he's able to uh, downplay that stigma. But I, th- I think he's a guy that's going to be productive, but he's going to have to go to a team that's going to be patient and they're not going to have to expect the world from him as a rookie or maybe even a second-year player. Which of the tight ends has helped themselves or hurt themselves so far? I think right now the tight, tight end is, is just a – there's probably not a position that is more wide open than tight end right now. Um, you got to – and this is kind of twofold. One, just because, you know, I think Max Williams has really just ascended to being the number one guy out there. And even though he, he's uh, declared uh, being a, a sophomore – at the, at the University of Minnesota, when, when a lot of people saw his production and thought, wow, you know, with another year or two, this could be the top guy. But it's such a weak class that he's already ascended into that top guy. He's a guy that's just helped himself immensely. Uh, the, the big thing, though, the stats aren't there. He really wasn't at a school that was really kind of suited to his uh, strong points. But you could see uh, when, they, uh, when they needed it, especially in that bowl game, that was, you know, seven catches, 98 yards. Doesn't sound like a lot. But uh, the touchdown that he made in the run and just when they really needed uh, something to happen, he, he just makes a, a five-yard reception and turns it into a 15-yard game kind of routinely. He's a guy that just makes the most of his limited opportunities. But the other question, you know, you've got a guy like Devin Funches who I thought was going to be the top tight end in this, in this class. The, uh, as a sophomore, the, the second half of his sophomore campaign, Michigan started using him as a wide receiver. He used him as a wide receiver this year, so there were a lot of questions. Hey, with the Mike Evans of the world and these these wide receivers that we keep seeing getting bigger and bigger, this is a guy that's just going to cause a physical mismatch and you put him at receiver. But then, you know, when you run a 4-7 at the combine, a lot of these questions are coming up now. Are teams going to look at him as a legitimate wide receiver? Or is he going to look, be looked at with a team that may be thinking, hey, we can put him back as a tight end? can be a blazing type of tight end and just work on his walking a little bit. I think ultimately a team that's got a need that for, for kind of both positions, you throw him and in, in, uh, take him to camp and kind of play him at both positions and see where he fits best. So I think maybe Boonchis could, uh, could actually be the top tight end in this draft, kind of sliding out of that wide receiver position. because, And I think it would be beneficial to him, especially since the tight end class is so weak. Maybe he helps his draft stock showing uh, that he kind of moves back from the tight end position and Vice just going into this with a mindset that he's going to be a wide receiver. 
DJ, I have a question for you before we move on to other positions. What do you think about making the 40 in all these races, um, making them do every drill with a football in their hands? <laughs> what do you think about that? I've always been a proponent of that because it's one thing to do all this stuff and then be catching balls out there and we see Mark, Marcus Mariota and, and Jameis Winston, you know, they're, they're throwing in shorts. I mean, they're not going to do that at the NFL level. There's something to be said for what you're able to do and what you're able to do in pads. So uh, I, I think it would I, – I don't know uh, how the – I think the NFL, the, the Players Association has something to, to say about that, and I think it would probably be some unfair comparisons of maybe you look at some historical data and – some of the times obviously wouldn't match up, but but again, it's just like being in a different era. I would I would love to see something like that because you know you can have a guy that's out there running a four four, but you put pads on him and uh, maybe he's not able to take a hit or maybe he's he's not able to run nearly as fast in pads. Well, I think that would be fantastic, but I do want to applaud the NFL as well. We're we're going to see a veteran combine this year. That's something that I thought is uh, you know they started talking about this a few years ago. I thought it would be a great idea. It's one thing to do all these these drills and then, you know, hey, you never have to do them again because, you know, once you're in the NFL and, you know, when you're a free agent, it's really look, looked at upon the, the body of your work and what you do on the field. You know, maybe you're a guy that's seldom used and you can go out there and show that, you know, you've got a lot of athletic ability. I think it kind of helps some of those people. Or, again, if you're a guy who's, you know, we see sometimes some, some players decline really quick. Maybe there would be some signs of that in a veteran combine. We're like, wow, this guy doesn't have the agility we thought, or just raising some medical red flags where maybe it could prevent some teams from making some bad signings. So I do want to applaud the NFL for that. And, you know, if, if they were to do something like that with pads, I, I think I would be a very, very in, in favor of that. I would uh, probably the best idea that I think they could do going forward. Okay. Well, let's move on to an area which they probably wouldn't be as happy doing in pants, and that's the offensive linemen. I know, DJ, you you were a little disappointed in the offensive linemen class this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, a little disappointed, I think, is is an understatement. I I think this is always a position that's kind of seen as a marquee uh, position, even though some people think that, you know, an offensive lineman, it's just sometimes it's these big corn-fed boys from the Northwest or uh, the Midwest, I should say, that, you know, maybe the skill's not there. But, you know, the, the one correlation you can find with teams winning Super Bowls, sometimes it's not how much they run the football or pass the football. or It's really just, you know, teams with the best protection, year in and year out, they're always up there. Or, or teams that avoid injury along the offensive line uh, are – just always seem to exceed expectations or, or do much better than uh, you know, look at the Dallas Cowboys and what, you know, building their team along the line with top picks in three of the last four years. It's just very important. And we just did not see uh, some, some good performers. Uh, the, the only, the only thing I took solace in is I've had a rec- Eric flowers out of uh, Miami of Florida as my number two tackle behind Brandon Scherf. And when uh, Andrews Pete or maybe even Lyle Collins from LSU had been thought of as maybe being that number two guy. But Flowers was uh, of the top 
guys, I would say, are, are tier one, uh, round one prospects, as, as people would think of them. Flowers probably had the best combine. He had definitely the best strength numbers. And, uh, you know, some other players like a Brandon Scherf, unfortunately, you know, did not perform as well. And you've made mention how uh, the stock of the, the Iowa offensive line, and sometimes they will drop. And, you know, even though I've been doing it for a few years, when Robert Gallery got uh, drafted, you know, second overall, a lot of people thought so much about what a can't-miss prospect he was. And he really wasn't affected until he moved at guard. Uh, there was, you know, uh, the fact that he had shorter arms, and, and that was something that, when you're a tackle and you really want to, it's not just all about strength. A lot of it is about leverage as well. And if you've got those longer arms and you can engage blockers farther away from your body and kind of maintain leverage, it's something that really helps you. Uh, with interior alignment, it's not uh, not as important with because you've a lot of times you've got the the players right in front of you. Those defensive tackles, everything is more compact. You want to get your arms out on those players coming around the defensive ends or those outside linebackers coming along the, the outside off the edge, it's, it's a little more important to have kind of that leverage. So when Gallery moved inside, you know, he was never really an all-pro, but he was a very productive player and uh, did much better. And I, I think that uh, not only did Scherf not perform as well, but uh, he kind of had, uh, kind of has those shorter arms, as we call it, T-Rex syndrome sometimes when you see these, these players with especially along the offensive line, you got those shorter arms, it's, uh, it's sometimes something that is going to turn a lot of teams off and really makes them wonder, are they going to get manhandled and pushed around by players coming off the edge because they've got to wait longer before they engage them and uh, don't have that, that wingspan that uh, is so important for a, for a defensive end or an offensive tackle to have. One of the guys, I don't know if you just talked about him, uh, who's performed – very well in a lot of different categories, is Jake Fisher out of Oregon. Is it possible that he becomes the first tackle off the board? I don't think the first tackle off the board, but I think that he's a guy that's really moving up. And and it's not just about the combine results. I mean, you think back to when Oregon lost their game to Arizona this year and when they started performing kind of bad, it was a lot of those – those injuries along the, the offensive line. And think about it, Oregon lost, I think it was three of their top four receivers at some point this year due to injury or they, either they missed the whole season or large chunks of the season. Then, of course, the uh, I'm not thinking of the uh, Harrington, I believe, was the wide receiver that was uh, suspended for the title game, but they lost a number of players, including Farrell Brown, the tight end. Um, they, they lost their uh, – uh, Addison, Braylon Addison from the year before was their leading receiver. Um, even though with all those injuries, Oregon was still able to perform at a high level, and we saw, you know, Marcus Mariota win the Heisman. But when they really struggled at, uh, or I'd say had their most troubles during the season, it was when Jake Fisher went down. They had suffered a couple of injuries. Uh, Hironis Grasu, their all-pro center, was out for a couple of games, and that's when we seen Oregon probably struggle more and when they were missing a lot of their, their targets. You know, missing their wide receiver still made a difference. But uh, Jake Fisher, uh, you, can make a, you can make an argument that other than Marcus Mariota, he was the most important cog or more, most important piece along that offense because as soon as he came back, there was a noticeable difference in Oregon and, uh, you know, able to keep uh, Mariota upright and 
and not running for his life, and uh, he can actually enjoy some being more of a dual threat where he really didn't have time to, to throw the ball with, with some of these uh, injuries he had along the offensive line, and he was turned into kind of more of a running back out of desperation by being that dual threat where he can kind of take off and, and pick and choose his, uh, his lanes and, and when to run. When they were missing Fisher, a lot, sometimes it was more or less just to, to save his own neck because he was under duress. Now, are there any other offensive linemen who you think might have really helped themselves? Maybe a guy like Allie Market out of small Hobart and Hobart College and the Finger Lakes. Any chance uh, for him? Look. Yeah, but but again, I'm I'm more of a guy. I put more stock in the Senior Bowl and how you practice at the Senior Bowl. And Marpet turned a lot of heads there. He's a guy that again came out of nowhere and. By the middle of the season, he really kind of came on my radar. You know, but before the season, I got to admit I didn't know who he was. Um, heard a little bit of buzz from some from some people, and it wasn't long. He was he was one of the first small schoolers that I really took a long hard look at, and it was easy to see why teams loved him so much because he's really just a complete player. He's one of those players that is not going to jump off the page at you with devastating pancake blocks or. Um, just getting up field and just you know, pushing a guy 10 yards off the ball. But he's just solid, doesn't make any mistakes, and he's the kind of guy that a team could draft and you could never hear his name mentioned for about five or six games, and that's just because he's not making penalties and he's just doing his job. Uh, but you notice that uh, Tyler Varga, the, uh, the uh, fullback slash running back out of Yale that scored a couple of touchdowns, a lot of people were talking about, wow, he helped the senior bowl stop. Uh, if you want to look, both those touchdowns, who was he running behind? He was right behind Marpet and uh, opening up some very good holes and just just seems to be that cerebral-type player. He just seems to have a good feel of what's going on around him. I think he really, really did help himself. Uh, he's a guy that, and again, we talked about uh, Eric Flowers. I think some of the interior linemen, some of the centers, maybe a P.J. Finney from uh, Kansas State is kind of moving up there, uh, uh, an Andy Gallick out of, of – uh, Boston College, another guy who I think is uh, kind of really helping us stock. Yeah, the, the guards, the offensive guards, I think there's more teams that are going to be looking for guards. Alakin Tomlinson out of Duke, I think, has definitely helped, him, helped himself. Trey Jackson out of Florida State was a guy that a lot of people thought of going into this season. He was really going to be uh, the number one guy uh, off the board at that position. But then you look at a Josue Matias from uh, his line mate, who we knew was going to be probably one of the top five guards, but he could be the first guy off the board. It, it, we could have had the wrong Florida State guy uh, pegged as the first offensive guard off the board. So I think the interior linemen shown a little better than the tackles, and I think some of those players are, are moving up the board faster than some of those offensive tackles, even though that's a more high-profile position for NFL teams. Let's go to the other side of the ball, uh, the defensive line here. Uh, there's one guy that, well, he's probably more of an outside linebacker, but there's a guy who has jumped around your board over and over and over. And um, that's a guy named Vic Beasley. Now, has he performed very well athletically. We knew that would happen, but has he jumped back into the top ten? 
There's a possibility. I think I think there's there's a lot of people on the defensive line who I think really help themselves. I think Beasley just being that higher profile guy because again, uh, you thought he would have put up the, a little better stats because he had a lot of help with a Corey Crawford, with a Grady Jarrett. There's some really good people along that Clemson line, so you would have thought that Vic Beasley would just have this monster year because you know if teams just double or even triple teamed him or paid too much attention to him. There were so many athletes along that Clemson line that Clemson would really benefit. And and he did very well, but again, it was kind of spotty that uh, sometimes teams ran right at him. And But uh, again, the fact that he posted some very good numbers, strength numbers are very good. He's, he's got a, a physique that, that looked NFL-ready since his sophomore season. So I've always thought that Sometimes when you've got a guy that kind of hangs around a little bit or, or goes back for a senior season, he kind of drops off the radar at a, a place like that, which is why I think another guy I think has really helped himself and came out, Dante Fowler. There were some some people, even myself, who thought he was going to be a little over a little overrated. You, you see a lot of very good uh, prospects coming out of the SEC. But uh, I thought that, you know, this is a guy that even though he played at Florida, maybe he's going to get a little bit of a slower time or he's not going to show as well. Definitely the, the quite the opposite, uh, running around in, in the 4-6 range and the fact that he has a larger wingspan. Uh, he's able to block a, a lot of passes. Maybe you can even put him in on some field goal, um, some field goal uh, uh, units and special teams and try to block some kicks. He's got that uh, very good wingspan. I think he's definitely – solidified himself as that top 10 pick, or maybe he's a guy that could sneak into the top five. Uh, I think he's, he's really helped himself. I think as long as he has a, a pretty decent pro day and just doesn't totally tank, he's a guy that's, that's really, really helped himself. And I think we're um, going to be talking about him. Uh, another guy, you can even just stay in the SEC. Another guy that I thought that maybe was – it may have been a mistake uh, at first for uh, Daniil Hunter from, from LSU to kind of uh, come out. He's a guy that, that it's just kind of teased you when you look at him on, on film where sometimes he just makes a devastating play and then, again, just seems to take some plays off. But, again, with his drills, he was just kind of off the charts as well. Uh, being a taller guy, there's some teams that are, that are maybe thinking you might have to add some weight, kind of uh, – Similar to what when the Cowboys said uh, taking uh, the Lawrence Jackson, uh, the, the player out of Boise State, the USC, uh, that, that he's very reminiscent of, of him, uh, where the team that ultimately drafts him, where they're going to put him, if it's going to be a more of a linebacker, a stand-up linebacker to just bring pressure, or maybe he adds a little bit of weight and becomes a 2-3 a down defensive end. And, of course, um, I would be remiss if I didn't go back to that, that fun name that we love the uh, Oamabi Odigizua, the defensive end out of UCLA. He's a guy that really, really was rising up the boards in the middle of the season. And again, he posted, a, I believe it was a 4-6-1. And, and what I like about him is it's not just all about getting to the quarterback with him. Playing in more of a traditional 3-4 front, he's a very good run stuffer. I think for teams that are looking for that complete defensive end, they can also provide run support and not just get after the quarterback. He's the guy that a lot of teams are going to be clamoring for, and he could be one of those those people that we are talking about where at the end of that first round, teams start thinking, maybe, maybe we got to take a, a chance on this guy. He's not going to be around in round two. 
we always have about three or four prospects, especially that one quarterback that teams kind of move up for. Uh, we could have two UCLA guys. If Brent Hundley really is a good pro day, maybe his that solidifies and, and it's that third quarterback that teams will go after. But a Diggy Zua as well, I think, could be a guy that winds up in the first round because teams just don't want to take a chance on him being off the board when their their pick comes around in the second round. Uh, going on to the linebacker position, there's a few guys, namely one out of Kentucky, who I think really helped themselves um, solidify some of your expectations. Any of the guys that you think could uh, – you know, could jump in at a middle linebacker position or maybe right outside from the get-go? I think there were there were a couple guys there disappointed as well. Uh, Nate Orchard, one of those, again, one of those players who is he an outside linebacker, is he defensive end? Uh, he posted a very pedestrian 4-8 time, and I think that was something that is going to turn some teams, some teams off. Uh, and the fact that he, he just doesn't play with a lot of power, so he's, he's a guy that when you watch him on, on film – he relies more on speed than just kind of tossing people around or using his upper body strength to get around a prospect or, or his offensive lineman. So I think that kind of opened some eyes, and uh, maybe he's kind of moved down a little bit. Um, I like Hayes Pollard out of USC. and I think the, the inside linebacking position, maybe a player like a Taiwan Jones, some of these players who may have the limited range might not have the, the super type of, of range to kind of go sideline to sideline so fast, but are just sure tacklers because something that we see more and more on film is either, especially from the linebacker position, you're, you're looking to strip the ball or you're just looking to make that big hit. And sometimes it's just the fundamentals of just making a tackle just seem to get missed. So maybe some players that are just more sure tacklers and not just all out speed demons that are, that are just going to cover the, cover the field with, with so much ground. I think some of those players are, are going to start moving up the boards again. Maybe a Ben Heaney out of uh, uh, out of Kansas, another player who I think is going to be undervalued, and we we could see him rising up the charts. Uh, so, so I think that that inside linebacking position, um, even though that's not going to be at the top of the charts, I think in, and again those middle rounds, kind of like the cornerbacks, but just a little bit later, we're going to see a lot of teams that are looking for those short tacklers that they'll look in that direction. Um, Another, we, we talked a little bit about Danny Shelton and his play uh, at the defensive tackle position for Washington, but uh, you, you also got to think of uh, another guy who played defensive end, but it's going to be looked at as an outside linebacker, and that's a Olei Kikaha, the, the the man who uh, played at Washington and actually led the FBS in sacks this past year. But again, playing at about 250 to 255 pounds, looking a little lighter at about and uh, standing about six two. Looks like he'll project as probably a linebacker that could go to a three where basically they just want to stand him up and, and getting to the quarterback is going to be his sole uh, type of mission. Was a guy who, again, injuries just kind of derailed his career early on, but the last two years he's shown that he can stay healthy, and when he's on the field just made a, a huge, huge difference for Washington. And staying with Washington, Shaq Thompson – Another guy who just has all the athletic ability in the world. We saw him rush for over 100 yards when running the ball uh, this year, I believe, in two separate games for Washington. 
But now, again, being a little bit smaller in stature, there's some teams who are thinking maybe he's more of a safety, maybe put him at strong safety, playing at about 230 pounds. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see whether teams kind of think as Thompson as a linebacker or safety. So, again, one of those teams, kind of like we, we talked with Funchess, maybe having the need at wide receiver and, and tight end, a team that maybe has a big need at linebacker and needs someone in the secondary as well, they can bring in a player like Shaq Thompson and kind of move him around uh, and, and see where he fits best. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes here. Let's go to the secondary real quick. Now you speak of Shaq Thompson in the secondary. Well, well, first off, Landon Collins, the fact that this is a guy who played at about 2'5 to 2'10, uh, and he shows up at 228 pounds at the combine. I think that opened a lot of eyes. He didn't uh, really like the world on fire, but, but again, he didn't embarrass himself. He still is, uh, looks like he's going to show plenty of speed. So I think that uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what that does for Landon Collins. I think he ultimately slides down the board. Uh, probably a guy who was thought of as possibly breaking into the top 10. That's probably going to be around in you know the 20 to 25 range. Teams like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia will probably look long and hard at him. Or again, he's one of those players who... I think teams near the top, maybe they can trade back and still get him, and maybe in that 15 to 20 range, maybe a team like Chicago at number seven, a team like Washington at number five, they can actually attain a couple other picks, slide back, and actually still take a player like Landon Collins. Uh, so I think the safety's shown a little bit better than the corners. Uh, you know, some other uh, safeties, uh, Cody Pruitt out of uh, uh, Pruitt out of uh, Ole Miss is another safety that I think a lot of people. Um, would be talking about Deron Smith. You know, he's still he's another player coming off injury out of Fresno State. But he's a guy that made uh, All Mountain West for four years, solid four-year starter. That's something we don't see at the NFL level or at the college level, where players are around all four years and make the type of impact that he did. And talking about those those small school players, you got to play a player like Jaquiski Tart out of Samford University. I think he'll be battling Zach Hodges, the linebacker out of, of Harvard, to be the first non-FBS player off the board. I think Hodges is the better player, but I think there's more needs for some teams at the top to kind of take uh, those secondary players. And I think for that reason, Tart probably goes by the second round. And right now, he's probably odds-on favorite for me to be the top uh, player out, outside the FBS level to be drafted even though there's another safety that I like uh, started the year on my list as my number one non-FBS player, and that's Daniel Fitzpatrick out of Tennessee State. And as a matter of fact, Tennessee State's got three very good prospects. I think Tennessee State's going to have three people, maybe even four drafted, more than a lot of, uh, a lot of the top FBS programs. Uh, he's still in play. Robert Myers, they've got a very good offensive lineman there. But um, – uh, again, safety, I think, is going to be a position that we're, we're going to see a, a lot of action with. And uh, some of those uh, corners we talked about, another corner that I really like and I've got as one of my top ten corners that I think a lot of people sleep on, Ja'Cory Shepard out of Kansas. Um, unfortunately, people will, will point to the fact that, you know, maybe he gave up some big plays or Kansas gave up a lot of yards through the air. That's just because they're Kansas. Their offense was just never on the field very long. Uh the, the run defense improved a little bit this year. So going to the air was just something that Kansas, unfortunately against Kansas, is what you had to do. And Kansas is actually a team that was in a lot of games this year. 
since their offense couldn't stay on the field, we saw their defense wear down. Uh, they played well against a couple of opponents and, and let a couple of games kind of slip away. And Ja'Cory Shepard is just a great athlete who I think you put him on a good team, uh, learn behind a, a KG veteran. He's a guy that can be a solid number two, possibly even a number one corner at some point down the road. His athletic ability is uh, is unparalleled, and I think Ja'Cory Shepard is a, is a corner that not enough people are talking about. And lastly, give us your top kicker-punter combo. <laughs> well, Kyle Loomis out of Portland State, if I'm going to stay on that small school tip, I think he's the only punter who I think has a legitimate chance at being drafted. If not, my number two punter, I'm going to go right back to Kansas, Travis Pardula, and it's 6'5", 210, uh, looks the part. Uh, Spencer Roth out of Baylor, you've got a couple of very good punters. Kickers, uh, there's to me this is just a draft where I don't see that that top-tier kicker. Um, we might not see a kicker get drafted. We're, we're going to see a couple actually come in camp, maybe competing for jobs. But I don't know if there is a kicker that's going to get drafted. If so, my money would be on Justin Manton out of uh, Louisiana Monroe, probably the top kicker uh, in this draft. Um, where there's a couple that will probably be coming out next year. Maybe even Sam Ficken, who out of Penn State, whose career started rather auspiciously, missing a lot of big kicks as a youngster, but uh, really came on the last couple of years, played well for Penn State, actually ends his career with a walk-off PAT, actually, uh, against Rutgers winning their bowl game. But Sam Ficken performed uh, pretty well. He's he's a guy that's got an outside shot. Uh, but I think there's uh, there's more punters. We could probably see at least two punters get drafted. Uh, I'm not sure if we, we're going to see a kicker, but if we do, it's probably going to be Justin Manton. But a guy that I really like, Jeremiah Detmer out of Toledo, he's battled some hamstring issues and some injuries as well. Um, but I really like him from distance, even though he's about, uh, I don't think he's any bigger than the Grammaticas. He's probably about 160 pounds soaking wet, but uh, I've never seen a, a guy so small other than the Grammaticas that can hit kind of the long-distance field goals that he does. Um, his accuracy on some of the long field goals, it's reminiscent to uh, Justin Tucker, maybe out of Baltimore. But uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes with the, the kicks that are 40 yards and under, he's not nearly as accurate. He's got the booming leg, but accuracy is the, the issue there. We could see him maybe go to a team that carries two kickers, maybe kind of the kickoff specialist, and maybe kind of uses him uh, as, a, as a kicking specialist for some long field goals. All right. All right, DJ, final thoughts. Well, I think, again, you, you just got to keep in mind that the combine, it's a good thing to, it's a good thing to, to have and kind of we, everyone's kind of on equal footing. But, again, I, I still think that a little too much stock is put into it sometimes. It's, it's good to – when you've got some players that are close, but sometimes we've got players that, you know, for three or four years they've been solid performers, they have a bad combine, and all of a sudden they're slipping, you know, three or four rounds. So I think uh, – you kind of got to keep that in, in perspective. The pro days, again, sometimes you got to look at the conditions. Sometimes they're very uh, – some the way some colleges conduct their pro days are very different than others. The, the, the conditions that are actually uh, going on, sometimes if it's a, a windy day or, uh, you know, just what the elements are, sometimes that's unplanned for. You kind of – there's a lot of things you got to take into account. But uh, – you know, it's good to have this. I'm going to be excited to see the veteran combine. But I did also want to add that one player that we didn't get to talk about in the secondary that I forgot to mention, Josh Shaw, the 
corner from USC who I thought of was probably a second or third round prospect at the beginning of this year. And of course he was the one who got himself in trouble with the lying and jumping off the balcony. Uh, at six foot, 200 pounds, he's, he uh, put up a, a four, four, four time, I believe in the, in the 40, um, conducted himself very well, was at the senior bowl. I think we're seeing his stock move up once again. And I think because he's a guy that was never really in trouble before that incident, We've seen him move from the second to third round, maybe down as kind of a late-round flyer. And now I, I think he's a solid guy who could move into the second round again because of his size. He plays bigger than that six-foot uh, six frame. We see the taller corners move up the boards, uh, especially on draft day. I think he's a guy that's going to go in the second round, even with the uh, unfortunate incident that he suffered this year. So Josh Shaw, I think, is another big winner when you put his senior bowl and his combine together. All right. Well, this was fun, DJ. Thanks for coming on. And uh, everyone look out for the rest of his team needs. Keep checking the site. Keep checking the blog. And tomorrow we will post the question that you will have to answer uh, based on tonight's podcast, and you will win the Draftmaster beer dispenser. (laughs) I'll put a picture up on the site so you know exactly what it is. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. Hope everyone has a great week. Absolutely. See you guys. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. No man, no weapon Formed against, yes, glorious destined Every day women and men become legends Says to go against our skin, become blessings The movement is a rhythm to us Freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us Justice for all just ain't specific enough One son died, the spirit is revisiting us True and living, living in us Resistance is us That's why Rosa sat on the bus That's why we walked through Ferguson With our hands up When they go down, we woman and man up They say stay down, and we stand up Shots be on the ground The camera panned up King pointed to the mountaintop And we ran up One day when the glory comes, 